is BJ Council. I view the world through the lens of having been followed by a white clerk as a child while shopping in a five and dime. I'm a retired police executive and own UN50, which gives guidance on surviving interactions with police. I'm Harmony Chavis, and I view the world through the lens of one of the most misunderstood and diverse generations in our nation's history. I'm a social worker and a believer of radical kindness and love as modalities of healing. My name is Andrew Council. I view the world through the lens of a generational camera phone. I wake up as a black male and go to bed as a black male. I am surviving this never-ending court case we commonly call life in the best way I know how. All right, welcome back to you and Five O. We really appreciate you uh, tuning back in. Um, by the time this is going, this is uh, we're actually recording this on the first day of Black History Month, and um, Happy Black History Month. Um, hope things are going well for everyone. Hope things have been you're safe and you're well. And we're going. We've got some guests with us tonight. We've got two professors from North Carolina Central University. Go Eagles! Uh, I landed. On I have on my NCCU shirt. Do you see uh, this? UNC, it, oh, do you? Okay. No, cool. NCCU. I'm, NCCU. I'm ripping NCCU today. Yes. All right. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I landed on North Carolina Central, but I didn't. I didn't go away with a piece of paper, but I definitely went around the yard for a little while. So, <laughs> so I'm probably landed. several times. Yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Look, probably why I flunked out because I went around too many times instead of going to classroom. <laughs> So oh, I have two, two individuals who are here, and I'll introduce them in a minute. So, Harmony, what you been up to? Well, as I was telling you before this, I'm on a juice cleanse, so I'm not the happiest today. I don't know why I decided to do this. Um, I I just don't. I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. And I think what makes me even more mad is that I paid for it. It's not like I just went out and got like juices. I ordered these juices from oh. LA. Like, who do I think I am? Like ordering pressed juice from LA. This is not even me. So um, <laughs> that's how, that's how my week is going so far. <laughs> so, so in other words, you're committed because you paid for your juice, right? I don't know if I'm that committed. I, um, <laughs> I've been thinking about like, in what way could I like use this? So I'm thinking maybe, maybe I can just give it away, um, but I, I'm, you know, I'll make that decision on day two. This is yeah, day okay. one. So All it's, right. it's the emotion speaking. All right. So we've got, like I said, two professors and doctors from North Carolina Central University um, to kind of talk about obviously the movement that we're in from their perspective. And uh, I want to introduce Dr. Russell Robinson, who is a um, communications professor, uh, mass media, pop culture, um, gender and sexuality, uh, that I'll let him kind of go into details with that when he, he starts. And I'll let him introduce himself. And then Dr. Ralph Barrett, a professor of music at NCCU, uh, doctor of musical arts and, and um, retired U.S. Navy. And I can't remember when I first interviewed or talked to them about coming on the show. I think, gentlemen, I think we talked after the insurrection at the Capitol. Was it after oh. that? Do you remember? I think no, it was. It was before. Okay, it was right before. before. Okay. okay. Perfect timing. Okay. Yeah. And the reason I say because I'm going to zero in on Dr. Barrett on that because of some statistics that are starting to come out about those individuals who have been arrested. Mm. Uh, so, so, oh, and also, I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to start with Dr. Barrett because when I was looking at your biography, I, I was reading it, obviously, and then I skipped to the part of uh, 
your recording credit principles and they started writing. I saw some names on there and I was just like, my man has played with some folks, Natalie Cole, Burt Baccarat, <laughs> Dionne Warwick. And I was like, dang. So, <laughs> so when I, when I saw that, with, with all due respect to Dr. Robinson, I said, my man been hanging out with some folks. And so Dr. Bear, if you just kind of, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Barrett. Sure. Well, I've been I've been blessed to be uh, be a musician, be able to make my uh, uh, life's work um, as a musician. Uh, I, as you mentioned, I, I'm a retired uh, Navy uh, band officer. I spent 28 years in the Navy. Uh, while I was in the Navy, um, I also did a lot of that work that I mentioned in my uh, in, in my resume, uh, working a lot almost as much on the outside as I did on the inside. So I was really blessed to have all of that. Uh, I was also blessed to um, have the Navy put me through a master's while I was on active duty and then be able to use the post 9-11 GI Bill uh, for my doctorate. And, uh, you know, I've had duty stations in um, on the East Coast in in, in DC and Maryland. I was in Hawaii a couple of times, the New Orleans. I finished up in, in, in Tidewater, Virginia, and uh, you know, I've done you know done quite a bit of travel. I've been married for forty-one years next month. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah, that's the work. So I, I just have a very, very, uh, very blessed life. And I've spent this is my eighth year at North Carolina Central, which is a very interesting way to uh, you know cap off a long work life. So uh, it's, it's it's been it's been it's been it's been really interesting being there and. Uh, uh, wow. Yeah, I, I enjoy my associations. My first, you know, ever association long term with an HBCU. So, um, in, in many ways, it's kind of coming around that that full circle again. Cool. All right. Thank you. So, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to talking, especially like I said about the the, the incident, Doctor Robinson. Yes, ma'am. My man, what's up? <laughs> Let's see. Tell, my tell blood us about pressure yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yes, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for asking me. Um, yeah. I, I am actually a double eagle. I graduated in 1993 and in 1995. Um, and I've always, I guess how I got into getting a PhD in mass communication was because I was a television addict as a kid. Oh. I, uh, seriously, my mom and dad, when they split up in the 70s, um, I discovered cable TV for the first time mm. and I was glued to the tube. And so I think what wound up happening is that I started watching television to the point where I, I was able to predict the plot lines. So I remember telling my mom and <laughs> my um, stepfather at the time said, I want to be an actor. And they gave me this look because one was actually a professor at uh, Central. And he said, well, you know, if you want to be an actor, uh, you can do that in New York for free. We will not pay for it. <laughs> so um, I then uh, I went to Central. Uh, I worked at the School of Science and Math for a number of years. And then I realized that I just really want to move on, study mass comm, study the, the issues that are not just, and I thought it was strictly just about the notion of what goes on the TV and da, 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 da. No, it was actually about who is in front of the camera and behind the camera who writes the narrative and who scopes the narrative mm-hmm. i've been at central like ralph i think i've been i'm now in my sheesh i got there in two, 2010 but i got on my tenure track in 2014 so it's been a wild ride to come back home wow. um it's it's amazing to be there wow 
Cool. Well, thank you for for uh, for coming on. You both of you for for blessing us with your with your presence. I really appreciate it. Um, so I think I you know we talked about it at the beginning. So a question I want to ask both of you uh, that we you guys we've lived through twenty twenty and having lived through twenty twenty, who are you now, Dr. Robinson? Lord have mercy. <laughs> um, well, I mean, being locked in, you know being locked in with a teenage son and a few other things, it, it really has tested my patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've now, I, I think I've taken for granted the physical contact that I've had with my colleagues at the facility. Mm-hmm. I, I've had to learn how to make ways out of no way. I would go to the gym on campus and work it on a regular basis. I'm a power lifter as a hobby. And I realized when I couldn't go to the gym, I was like, what am I going to do? So I had to literally build a powerlifting rack in my house from scrap. And I had it built. But um, it's really taught me about resilience. It's taught me about mental wellness and how it's important that you keep sanity at all times. Mm. And I'll be honest. I mean, it's reminded me of how the fragility of the fragility of human life and how it's so precious. Wow. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. Exactly. What about you, Dr. Bear? Uh Who are you now? That you survived 2020. Another year older. Uh, right. Fortunately, no deeper in debt than I was before. <laughs> you know, the challenge of the year uh, for me was um, trying to, uh, you know, maintain some level of, um, of spiritual and uh, emotional normality when everything mm-hmm. else around was in such flux. You know, uh, uh, trying to protect my health and my wife's health, Mm -hmm. trying to um, make sure that the instruction that I was providing uh, was 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 good, Uh, trying to keep up with, um, you know, one of my jobs at North Carolina Central is chair of faculty senate. So there was a Mm -hmm. lot of shared governance work with, um, you know, putting all of this all this change together. Uh, So there was a lot of that. Um, and uh, I'm different if I've changed any, it is in my, uh, determination and my resolve to, uh, you know, the right thing all the way around. You know, I watched what was going on in Washington, DC. Uh, I watched, I sat through a, a very tense election and, um, saw the aftermath of all of that. And I am determined that whatever I do and however I, you know, perform in life, it is about supporting and doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what makes the difference. You know, uh, you can um, complain all day long and you can fuss and you can, you know, signify, but you really have to be active in doing the right thing to make sure that, uh, uh, you know, society goes the way, it sh- the way it needs to go in the future. And that pertains especially to you know the people that we're responsible for in our in our in our uh, you know higher ed teaching and our colleagues and our families and all of that. Wow. Yeah, you're right. Doing the right thing. And let, I want to let's just kind of go ahead and stay with that. I'm still going to come um, since you're the a military guy. I'm going to come back because I I want to ask you about the insurrection um, at the Capitol. But let's kind of stay with that. When I first talked to you guys, you know, what what is it that you guys see and what your role is in helping our students on black campuses, HBCUs? I mean, Harmony is she's protested 
and she she is a radical person. She's she's been there, done, out there, you know, trying trying to change. And for for a millennial, and then for those individuals that are still in college and HBCUs, how do you see your role in, or what's that look like? What what's the movement look like on campus? I mean, what what either one of you, which whoever wants to start that, but what does that look like, and what role do you have in helping them navigate that, you know, on campus, and then when they move on to whatever they're going to be doing as, you know, leaders of, of this, of this country. You want to go off? No, go ahead. Okay. So I, I look at it as we are at an opportunity, a crossroads, a great opportunity. Um, I knew, I look at the fact that we have a lot of millennials and Gen X folk who have supercomputers in their back pocket. And we're looking at how they're using this supercomputer called a phone. And they're now, and they're able to basically uh, become part of the hashtag revolution, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, Black Lives Matter was pivotal and it was really started on Twitter and Black Twitter at that. And I, I'm, I look at the fact that my role, especially in my discipline in MassCom, is I want to make sure that first, that we make sure that our students who come to the HBCU understand that it's not, it's a whole lot more than just homecoming and chicken Wednesday. All right. <laughs> no, you didn't say Chicken Wednesday. I certainly did. <laughs> chicken Wednesday is iconic. Iconic. <laughs> so, chicken Wednesday. It's a whole lot more than that. I think it's about why we are here. And it's about we have to protect the legacy of what our institutions stand for. And I think in doing that, we have to prepare our students to be able to articulate. And when I say articulate and navigate, we do come from a praxis or come from a, a legacy, if you will, of not just suffering, but I would say more so of conquering, of, of mm. being able to rise to the challenge. I look, I tell my students this all the time, you know, these institutions that we have, we can't take them for granted. You know, we came from a, we actually have the generation or have a society or a race of people that start off like a Steven Spielberg movie. We came here on slave ships and mm. then we had to learn certain languages. So we can't squander the opportunity. And so my role is to make sure that I try to teach them how to communicate effectively. I teach them that it's essential that they participate in various discourses, particularly our political discourse, especially after the last four years. So I think that our role is pivotal, right. essential. Wow. Yeah. What's up, Doc Barrett? What do you think? I think, I think uh, there, there, there's much wisdom in, in what my colleague says, that we are, um, you know, at least in my case, I'm, I'm two generations beyond my students right now. Mm. So uh, the way that I try to approach them is um, with, a, with an open mind and, 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 and a very open heart. Uh, I don't understand a lot of what they do. Uh, I have a challenge, you know, with, with their process. Uh, I understand that the world that they live in is, is much more complicated mm -hmm. than that. Uh, than, than, than mine might have been for me. Mm -hmm. But I do know that um, it really is about uh, a lot of uh, pride, pride in, in yourself, pride in our heritage, pride in our nation, and, and, and confidence in your ability to be able to contribute at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a strong level. Um, when I was uh, uh, in the Navy, one of the things I used to say to students that I had there was, you know, from this day forward, you are no longer about yourself. You are mm -hmm. about what you do for others. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of the things I try to encourage our students with as well. You know, you, you, you've outgrown, you know, me. And now you have to think yourself in terms of how do I serve the community? How do I serve others? Uh, I work with a lot of music education people. And that's all about that. You know, you, you, you know you're no longer thinking about your own instrument or your own horn. You know, you're thinking about how, how your students are going to uh, need you. So that's, that's a lot of what I, what I try to encourage. You know, think beyond yourself. Think beyond your, your, your own interests. Um, look for that bigger picture and uh, take great joy in the opportunity that you have to do that. I also, you know, you know much like Russell does, I teach a lot of self-care. Mm, uh, because wow. you can't get anywhere unless you're taking care of yourself. Right. Uh, you know, get all over them if, if, they, if they show up and they haven't eaten or if they say, I didn't sleep much or, you know, whatever it is. I always push back at them. You know, you, you, know, you can't be any good to me or anybody else if you're not good to yourself. And it's wow. something that we have to learn, you know. Wow. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm constantly challenging them to um, be the mature adult that they want to be, you know, mm-hmm. if it's the address for your next, for the job you want, not the job you have. Mm-hmm. And I try to encourage them to be uh, the adult that they want to be now, not wait for that to happen because it doesn't happen. You know, it, it's made to happen. Wow. I'm all that harmony getting is I'm sure you have something to, to say, but I find what you just said about having to tell them to take, to do self care. Um, that's interesting that I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is it's interesting that I know as black culture, we just don't do self-care. We do not. We we just don't. And the fact that you're telling kids who are on your campus that they need to do that, that's I mean, that's that continues to say just generational. It's still that we're not taking care of ourselves and don't realize how significant that is for black folks. And the fact that you having to tell our young folks to do self-care. Uh, that's uh, It's not it, just for the young folks, though. Wow. I, I'm yeah. going to tell you, I mean, we're having to tell our faculty, take some care of yourself. Yeah. You know, I, 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 one of the things that I do, or have done, I also was a faculty senate chair, and one of the things I started was the, a mental wellness initiative for their faculty. Wow. And, and the key is, is that we, this thing with COVID, it has hit us so bad that in many cases, we don't know that we are going through levels of depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. I'll be the first to admit it myself right now. You know, I'm, I just had to just, my psychologist, I call her shrink as a joke, but um, (laughs) I just found out that I was going through a slight episode of PTSD and I had no idea. So I had to pull back and start practicing the self self care that I've been preaching. So I think we have to go ahead and do right. that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Arm, yeah. Go ahead, Doc. Go Dr. Bell. Did you uh, something? Yeah, I, I was I was just gonna mention that um one of the things that we suffer from as as African Americans is the need to suffer much more than we than we have to. I don't mm. know what this all goes back to. I think it, it must go back to slavery. It must go back to, um, you know, reconstruction. It must go, m- must go all the way back. Well, what about the black church too? Can't forget that because we also talk about yes, spirituality. Yes. I, I, I grew up there too. Yeah. So, you know, it, you know, you, you're not really doing right unless you're suffering at some level. Uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but yeah, but, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> and, 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 and I really don't think that that's necessary since yeah. white colleagues don't necessarily feel that way and they do mm-hmm. just fine. 
So we don't really have to suffer as hard as we think we do mm-hmm. in order to be successful. We just need to work hard and work uh, uh, in a structured, smart way. But we don't have to suffer. You know, suffering is optional. Wow. What you got, Harmony? I know you got something. Um, so at first when he was talking about like because Becoming, the, becoming a mature adult it doesn't just happen. I, I just got caught up on I'm like, am I a mature adult? Like, I don't, no, I don't know. Last really week good. I ate cake for like three <laughs> times for breakfast last week. It was rough. Um, <laughs> but I've been really thinking about this concept um, and I, I don't really identify with it. And I think that in general, we need to move away from it, which is that in order to love ourselves or in order to be loved by other people, we have to love ourselves first. Um, And I think that this is why community is so important and why it's important that we have mentors that are successful and established um, to really show us how to take care of ourselves and show us how to love ourselves. I think that we take for granted that a lot of people have grown up in environments um, where they've never really been loved or even illustrated how to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that to me is why community is important, right? It's to serve as a model and to emulate this familial structure that a lot of people don't have. Um, So I am constantly, constantly, constantly moved by the power of community. And I think that it's often overlooked as a component of Um, Mm self-care. Because I'll tell you on the days where I felt my most unlovable, it wasn't me that pulled myself out of it. Um, It was the people that were determined to continue to love me and to continue to see me in my suffering and refuse to look away. Um, so I, I definitely appreciate that we do see more professors speaking about it, talking about it, and also, you know, sharing that it's not necessarily all bubble baths and, you know what I mean, <laughs> pedicures. It's it's a lot of tough moments. It's a lot of really heavy things. It's a lot of sitting and suffering. And it's a lot of, I think, grieving for me personally. Um, and, and that's not easy. Um, so self-care isn't just, you know, all of the good things, it's the anxiety, it's the depression, it's the fearfulness, it's it's being unsure about the future. Um, and I think that that's really, really, really important to highlight whenever we are talking about taking care of ourselves is really acknowledging the full range of human experience mm-hmm. and how necessary and integral we are to to one another's healing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Robinson, love that. That's <laughs> Oh, cool. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. I'm going to make a hard left because I want to go to Dr. Barrett with his military background. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, by the time folks hear this, I mean, we, this is uh, February 1st, we're recording this on, but some data has just come out, referenced the uh, insurrection at the Capitol. And a lot of some of the data is coming out that a high percentage of the persons who have been arrested are military. Yep. And so, I mean, it's not a shock, obviously, um, but I, just as a black military person, been there, done that. Um, what, what is that? I mean, when, when you hear that and you see that, you know, what, is that, what does that say to you as, as a black male that was probably rubbing up against someone that probably went into the Capitol? Probably, I don't know. I didn't see any really old people in there, but I'm just kidding. Um, so... <laughs> Just, you know, what does that say to you? I mean, what does that say to you in this moment um, as far as uh, domestic terrorism? And for the most part, you know, the perspective of we're training, we're we're homegrown and they're coming out of the military or they're going in the military and then they're coming out and they're doing, some of them are doing, extremists are doing some of this stuff. So what's your thought on that? How do you feel as a black military person? Just had to ask that. Well, well, first of all, it, 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 it breaks my heart 
and and it, and it, and it angers me to no end. You know, um, we we took this 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 promise. You know, we made this commitment to to support and defend the Constitution, and um, I think we we all do. That's the thing that holds us together. You know, is is the mission, whatever that may be. Um, but you know, ha- having served that time, what you find is uh, the military really is a a, a microcosm of, of of the nation. So you do see, you know, some very conservative people, but you also see some very, very uh, uh, progressive people as well. And, uh, you know, serving in an individual unit, being in a band or in a, in a class or whatever, you know, I would find that, um, you know, I'd, I'd get into these, these knockdown drag outs with, uh, you know, conservative guys, because I'm not, I'm not very quiet about my opinion and, and I'm never happened. <laughs> And, and for, for my politics, you know, um, you know, you're not supposed to have politics as, as an active duty person. Mm. Uh, when I was an officer, I, I put them away. When I was enlisted, I did not necessarily do that. And we're getting get into some 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 big discussions with people over, um, you know, conservative versus liberal or progressive politics. Um, and and, they, and it got really ugly at, at times. So I, I knew that they were out there. Um, I. Uh, did a, a change of command ceremony for a, uh, a base commander, uh, my last tour. And uh, this was during the uh, George W. Bush administration, during the Gulf Wars. And mm-hmm. he came out at his retirement and said that, you know, uh, that all this, um, you know, neocon stuff was right. And he was tired of hearing, you know, you know the bleeding hearts and, you know, made, made a big political statement during this, during the ceremony, because he couldn't, you know, he, he couldn't do it when he was on active duty. So he showed him, showed his self as he was going out the door. That was very disconcerting. And, and I had a couple of people apologize for, for this. Um, you know, I, I to say, I'll tell you another story uh, that was even more concerning. I, I had gone to um, a command leadership school in, in Newport. And uh, it was me as a, you know, as a band officer and, you know, people from other communities. And this one guy, was, he was a diver. And um, we were having a discussion about something. It was right around the same period of time. And he said, he looked at me and I said, you know, you know, we're all Republicans in here, right? And I, and I you know, and, and, and looking at it in retrospect, I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> but I couldn't because, you know, I, I, didn't want, I didn't want anyone making an assumption about me. And I said, no, we're not all Republicans in here. And truth be told, we're... We're naval officers, so we don't have politics. Mm. Shut him up. And, wow. and I found myself kind of, you know, wandering away from everybody. But it, it, is, very, um, it is very disconcerting to see uh, people who, who uh, you know, promise to support and defend the Constitution at any level uh, stepping into an insurrectionist situation. It's very sad. And it's very, it's very, it's very aggravating. And... Um, you know, the fact that they fought and many of them served and bled for the rights of people to vote and then to turn around and try to take that right away. It, you know, it's a little confusing. And, and to me, it's much more about the, um, the you know, uh, pushing privilege a little farther than it needs to go. Mm, wow. You know, that was, that was what I saw during the whole thing. It, it, it was really a demonstration of privilege 
the way they were treated going forward, the way they're being mm-hmm. treated now, the way that they were uh, supported, you know, you know, getting in there physically, mm-hmm. uh, just, just allowed to walk out, right. you know, and, and I keep thinking to myself, man, if this had been, you know, us up yeah. in there, it, it would have been a whole different, would have been a whole different deal, you know, uh, and that probably aggravated me more than anything else. Uh, but, but it is very sad. In fact, I have a, a good friend, my best friend uh, from Pennsylvania. Um, he's a Jewish guy. And uh, his uh, brother or sister-in-law and her husband are, you know, uh, QAnon Trump people. And they were at the, you know, at the insurrection. <laughs> we, we were talking about that. I was joking about it because he lives in a real conservative place. And I said, you know, any, any of your neighbor, you know, how did your neighbors do with the insurrection? He said, well, I don't know, but, you know, my sister-in-law and her husband were there. Wow. And, and it was just, you know, so, 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 you know, we're so close to these people. And um, this, this is really, really pulling us apart. So I hope yeah. we find a way to come back together through this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I definitely feel you on that, how aggravating it is, especially when, you know, you got law enforcement officers that were there. On um, going into the space as well. It's a story altogether. Yeah, you know, it, it just kind of makes you law enforcement people's own mother It just kind of makes you feel bad. Um, just to know that they would break break the law. I mean, you know, having a strata line. Yeah, you have a right to your political opinion, but you once you went in, you breached something. You did something wrong. Dr. Mm-hmm. Robinson, do you have any opinion of that? Because I got got a couple of questions for you. You know, I, I can't. You. I can't. I, I don't have the military experience, but I can talk about it just from what I looked at it. And right. you know, I, we were looking at it, and when I saw Thundar, the organic barbarian, go in there um, <laughs> uh, with the horns, I was like, "For real, this this is happening." And 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 you saw that they had the Confederate flag in there, and then you saw that there were people complicit with doing this. It's weird because when you go back to this war on terror that they had back in the early two thousands, and they were talking about sleeper cells or sleeper jihadists in America. Well, now you have radicalized Americans who are in their own sleeper cells and we don't know where they are. Mm. And, and what frightens me is that you have them now in political arenas as well as in law enforcement. Right. So right. it's it's kind of like stressing. Yeah, it is. So Dr. Can I say so, this real quick, BJ? Yeah, no, yeah, go ahead. So, and, and thank you so much for your service, Dr. Barrett. Um, and I hope that this comment is is not offensive. My dad was also um, a military veteran in the Vietnam War. And I think that there is something to be said about patriotism and white supremacy and how they intersect. I, I'll, I probably shouldn't say this while we're recording this and upload it, but I, like, I'm not proud to be an American. I, I rarely do I feel good or patriotic, <laughs> but I think even beyond that, like patriotism to me represents white supremacy to, to, a, to a certain extent. Um, and I, I say that because when you think of what America stands for and the very precipice on what this nation was built on, how can we be patriotic and not in some way uphold white supremacy. And I guess that's a whole nother conversation. But when we are talking about this type of stuff and BJ, you said something like, we're not necessarily surprised or Dr. Barrett, you said that we know that these type of people exist within these sectors um, of people. It just reminds me of, of how much, in my opinion, patriotism really mimics and mirrors white supremacy in a lot of ways. 
It, it does. It does. And, and if I can, um, um, you know, respond with all of that. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, it, a hard one because it, it's been co-opted by the political right and it's, it's been defined in a certain way. Uh, and I've had to deal with that uh, personally uh, and come up with my understanding of what it means to be a patriot. Uh, and what it means in essence, and if you strip it down to its, to its bare essence, it means that you are one who loves your country. That's all it means. You know, one who mm-hmm. loves Chicago and their country. Mm-hmm. It, it has no uh, political connection to it. You can be extre- an extremely patriotic liberal. You can be an extremely patriotic uh, uh, socialist, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, or, or a conservative. It means you love your country. Uh, and we cannot uh, allow the political right to co-opt that and take that away from us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, and I've I struggled with that. You know, what is it I love about America? Well, I don't love the images. You know, I, I'm not I'm not nuts about like <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't worry much about symbols. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm not one who sees the flag and, and and takes it out of context. It's only a symbol, you know, and and symbols come and symbols go, but right. it's the people. It's the Constitution. It's 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 our neighbors, you know. It's 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 our heritage of positive things, you know. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's Obama, you know. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's family, you know. It's it's Ellis Island. It's 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 all these things that have have helped to you know keep us here and put us here. And it's what we do with that, you know. Uh, if you don't love the country then maybe you're maybe you're looking to love the wrong thing mm. Mm. you know because you know I, you know I, I love america but i love americans first you mm. know mm-hmm. and, and and i love what we stand for and i love the possibilities right. you know, the possibilities are tremendous mm-hmm. you know so that you know that, that's where i come from on this and i try not to be angry with those who uh, you know have, have co-opted it to mean something else or put loyalty tests behind it but you know, now I just ignore them. Yeah, <laughs> it's so hard. They're so loud, and they're they're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. They're they are literally everywhere. Um, and then for for you, Dr. Robinson, mm-hmm. in MassCom, I guess what are some big things that themes? I'm sorry, themes that you've seen. Um, I'm sure like we all can identify some as far as like skin color, but even in the reporting, would you say that there's been a really big difference in how this domestic terrorist attack was presented versus things like <laughs> Black Lives Matter? Um, and specifically, oh. I would say um, the protests dealing with, with Breonna Taylor. I think Absolutely. That that's- yeah, I will tell you, and again, not to be flip about it, but Wade Charles, who's dead and blind, can see that there was disparate coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take a look at the fact that <clears throat> this whole piece, you know, the reporters were surprised. We're so surprised. Blah 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 blah. And then you see the images. They they they're just all in total shock and awe that they're looking at white rage. Right? They're in shock and awe, and they're recovering this. But then when they look at the Breonna Taylor, so when they look at the protests and the uh, and what happened with George Floyd and others, and you see how that's reported, then we go back to then using canon language, we're using words that are the N-word by proxy thugs mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. Soledad O'Brien said that so eloquently some time ago. Mm-hmm. So I think that we have bias reporting. I think that's why it's important that we also have folks, 
you know, Gen X, Gen Y, and Gen Z, who and millennials who are now able to Thank use, <laughs> who are able to use this technology. I'm not promoting Apple, but who's able to use their <laughs> smartphones, and now they have the opportunity to to tell the story on their own because our media system, whether we choose to believe or not, it is a business. And now that we have so many outlets, you know, you can now turn the channel to, to subscribe to the political ideology you want to, mm-hmm. as yep. opposed to yep. back in the day when you had folk who believed that's the way it is, Walter Cronkite, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> that's folks- me. Who, right, go. That's and, me, there you go, And you could trust folks to really be objective. Right now, right. anyone can be a journalist, and, 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 as, and I think this issue of disinformation, we cannot not talk about that because mm-hmm. how it's been covered and how you have anyone who's able to put this stuff out there, I think we're now going to be looking at a psychological tsunami of folks who have to be, I hate to use the word, deprogrammed because oh. they drank the Trump Kool-Aid like Jim Jones and not the rapper. And so because of that, <laughs> we saw this one person who's like, oh, Donald Trump, please say he must. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is what you bought into because you were not critical in what you consumed with your media. And that's what happened, I think. Mm-hmm. And then like the, the biggest thing that I'm noticing is when we talk about uh, protests with black people, we use the word riot. And even BJ, when we've been doing this, we've been using the word insurrection. And when you think <laughs> yes. of the connotation that goes with right. riot versus insurrection, to right. me, insurrection sounds a lot more noble and a lot yeah. more sophisticated. Right. And it's romanticized. These were some, and these yeah. are some thugs. These are domestic terrorists. And yeah, I think that to be intentional about the language that we're using, mm-hmm. every time that we reference this, we need to call it a terrorist attack on the Capitol because that's what it is. And even though, you know, we're not intentionally giving these people a way out we are because we're not holding them accountable insurrection is not what this was this was a deliberate terrorist attack that was multi-dimensional and i think that that to me is what makes it so scary it was on so many different levels it wasn't just community members coming to the capitol it was also police officers that were letting them in it was also leadership that was not um I would say direct and as intentional as they could have been or should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's I mean, fair. I was going to say, Harmony, I'll even add to that too, because I think we go back and we can compare the domestic terrorist attack of 9-11. There was then an, an all-out media assault on brown people. And I mean, mm-hmm. Arabic mm-hmm. Islamic people, mm-hmm. as opposed to now, the terrorists look like Ma and Paul Kettle. They look like Captain Kirk, but mm-hmm. you don't want to say that. But they were white people who took over, who literally tried, who stormed a building. Now, I can tell you, if Black people had done that, well, when, when there was the protest, and I think we all know that, when there was the protest back in D.C., you saw it was a weapons demo. You saw people who were in full military regalia. Mm-hmm. Imagine if Black folks did that, there would be a body count. So no. it would have been a massacre. It would have been a massacre. I um, when Freddie Gray was killed back in 2014, uh, me and my dad went to a um, protest at the old police headquarters in downtown Durham. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, my dad at the time was, gosh, late 60s. He walked with a cane and we were walking through the parking lot and um, there were police in full riot gear. Um, and I remember them saying, are you going to the protest? And when we said yes, they were like, well, you can't walk in this parking lot. So they made us walk literally all the way around. They see my dad has a, has a cane, so I don't know, you know what he really do with that. Um, but I remember 
before we started the protest, they said, you know, essentially, this can be dangerous. We need for everybody to follow the directions and to, you know, stay out of the street as much as possible so we don't have folks being arrested. And the entire time we were being followed by police in full riot gear. Now, these are, you know, Durham is a city of 250,000 approximately. This is the capital. Like, how did this even happen? And I mean, I definitely understand Trump obviously had a whole lot to do with it. But I think even beyond that, it's it's this complacency to his chaos. I mean, complete complacency to his chaos. Um, and like you were saying, there are so many people that are going to have to be deprogrammed because I started reading more of this Trump media because I was I, w- I was concerned, but I was also kind of interested because I knew a lot of people who I thought were smart that were acting really, really stupid after they read you know, this propaganda, essentially. And so I started reading some of it. And in a lot of ways, I can understand how these people could be radicalized so easily and how, as a country, we have really turned patriotism, like you were saying, Dr. Barrett, into some type of weaponized, politicized type of force. Um, and I'm just, I don't know, I'm, I'm interested to see how the kids that are in college now and that are in high school now, how their activism is going to be changed and informed by not only the Trump presidency, but this, this pandemic that's now been almost a year long. Yeah, I, I think that we, um, well, I, 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 will, I will challenge one, one, uh, one statement. Uh, I thought about what that event was and the best term to use for it. And an insurrection is, is, is the term because that means that implies the violent attempt to violently take over a government of a system. And that's what that was. You know, they went there with the intention of stopping that, uh, that electoral college vote. That was their intention. And, um, you know, to, to do it by any means necessary, obviously, you know, they brought uh, uh, handcuffs and firearms and, you know, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So based on that, I, you know, I, I use that term and I don't use it to romanticize it because I can't think of a better term, you know, than, than an insurrection. There, there, was, there was intent there. Um, I, I think that we missed something. And um, we, we talked about it a lot this past year. And that is that when we get out and vote, things happen. And we saw that in this last election. We just saw it in Georgia. You know, mm-hmm. who thought who thought that there'd be two Democrats coming out of Georgia? A black guy and a Jew, you know, and, and, and <laughs> what a combo. <laughs> but this is what happened when, when people get and you know, it still didn't represent the 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 full power of the African American vote in Georgia. Mm. It's still, because there were still people that didn't come out. Right. If we voted in bigger numbers, you know, everything would change. Everything yeah. would change. Yeah. Uh, so I think that I think we give away our power by not doing that. Yes. You know, yeah. and these people that showed up for the for the insurrection party, <clears throat> they don't. They 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 value their franchise and they use that power. It's just not that many of them, and we and we allow them to do that. So we we abrogate, you know, our, our ability to do things by not uh, by not voting. Right. You know, I have students that that, that 
that don't vote. Yeah, yeah. I find that in yeah. millennials specifically, they are incredibly critical of our electoral process and really just in, in the system, like capitalism in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally do not identify as a capitalist. I would say I'm more of a democratic socialist, um, but I, I do vote. But I think that there is such a, I don't know, just like this disbelief um, in the electoral process with millennials like myself that it's even hard for me to really get across to them that they should vote. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say most of the people I associate with closely were social workers, so we all vote. Um, but I've, I've seen people on social media where, you know, people are presenting very valid facts and arguments to kind of present the other side, and they are so resistant. Um, and I know that that has a big big part of why the change is not as transformative as we would like it to be. I mean, Trump was what, 74 and Biden is 71 years old. Like these. 78, I think. Mm-hmm. 78. Biden is 78. Trump's want to be elected. Yeah, he's older. Yeah, he's older than Trump. I yeah. thought, I mean, I thought he was fine, but now I think he's extra fine if he's 78. 78. She got a thing for old man, Dr. Barry. You better be glad you married. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, yeah, I know. So, yeah, I, and, you know, one of the things I, I appreciate you talking about that, uh, yeah, the voting. I, yeah, you still have people who are complacent, but I'm kind of hoping that what was proven in Georgia is that if Black folks vote, things happen. So I'm hoping that that was an exercise in see, see what can happen. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm kind of hoping hoping that is that. Well, I want to, I got a couple of questions I want to ask because kind of talk about uh, Popo stuff real quick. Um, And it has to do with masculinity, uh, Dr. Robinson. Lord help me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, and this came from another, uh, thing that I was sitting in on a conversation was uh, black male being arrested mm-hmm. and he's by himself and he's compliant. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he is with his friends and he is not compliant because he possibly uh, is, it's like you can take everything away from me, but you're not going to take away my dignity. And so they've, they, this, this particular gentleman from, as a South Carolina professor based, they've done some, some, a little bit of study about that, uh, about if they're with their friends, it's like, you know, I, I got to show you, but if I'm not with my friends, okay. So I just want to get your perspective on that since you kind of do a study on, on gender and masculinity, especially as it relates to because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get black bodies home safe. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and I really don't even need you to, to, to rail up even in front of your, your boys and your girls. But I understand that that's a thing. And I just want to get a, get your insight on that, maybe. I mean, it, it's 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 macho politics at best. You know, if you're by yourself, yes, I'm going to comply because I, I'm just going to comply. But around your boys, you're like, I ain't going to be no punk. And so because you don't want to be no punk, you're going to try to show up and show out. And then unfortunately, then you're going to get the other treatment and you might become a hashtag. And so the thing is, is that we have to have this hard, serious negotiation. I think that we have to talk about strength and look at strength in a different way. 
See, and that's one of the things that I believe that we as African-American men, black men, um, we, we need to redefine. And that cool pose is gonna get us killed if we're not careful with it. And so the idea is that we have to redefine what strength is. For example, I remember when I became a full-time custodial single dad um, of my son, I had uh, people like, man, it's okay to nurture a child. That is what we're supposed to do. And that's a sign of strength. Right. Um, well, unfortunately, we have this patriarchal, hegemonic idea of what strength is. And so part of that, we like, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to advocate for myself. True, we understand that, but there are ways to go about that. Mm-hmm. On the street, and I think I've said this before, on the street, in the dark of the night, the person who has the power, if you're in a traffic stop, is the individual who has the badge and the gun. Your job is to get home. Now, if you would like to, quote, man up, do so with an attorney after the fact, live to tell the tale. So I think we're looking at this notion where we have to have these conversations, transformative conversations, redefining what strength is. Strength does not have to be wiling out. Strength actually means self-control. Strength means knowing the time and the place. And I do believe that we're beginning to have those conversations. I try to exercise, have that conversation with my students. But again, unfortunately, because people, they're around their people, we still, I'm not going to be no punk. So I'm, I'm fine. And all of a sudden the whole car goes down. Yeah. doesn't need to be that way. Right. All right. Dr. Barrett, you got any comment on that? I, I must agree with my colleague. It is it is baked into um, young adult male, mm. uh, and I think more so with that uh, uh, young young men of color. Um, mm. You know, you don't ever want to be perceived as being a punk. You know, and um, you can be a certain way when you are outside of the circle. You know, when you're home with mom, when you're right. with, when with your girlfriend. When you're in church, you know, you know there are certainly socially certain socially acceptable places where it's okay to be, you know, mature and responsible. But when you're with the boys, it's not one of them. And I see that uh, with young men, and and I'm ashamed to see I I, I see that with men of my age. Wow. You know, that's mm-hmm. very sad. You know, you shouldn't be 60 years old and 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 carrying that kind of uh, you know phony machismo around. Because it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't serve anything. Right. You know, it doesn't serve anything at all. Um, and and I think it's 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 irresponsible. Um, it sets bad example, and it takes no courage to uh, uh, you know stand up like that. Now, they consider it. Young men will consider that courage, but the mm-hmm. internet between courage and, and and bravado, you know, and that's just bravado. That's just you know. Uh, uh, you know, hormonal expression, but, you know, real maturity, real courage is to stand up, like I said before, for the right thing, right. you know, and stand up in dignity. Uh, I, I will, I will share this. Uh, I spent a lot of my life uh, and, and all of my academic time and most of my military time too, in, in an environment that was primarily, uh, you know, non-black. Mm-hmm. So everything I did, I was, I was repping for the, you know, for the community. And I didn't like it, but I knew that uh, much as I said, I only speak for myself, that's not how many people were taking it. So uh, I needed to be reasonable, rational, mature, responsible, you know, all those positive things, because 
the minute I stepped over the line and did, did the wrong thing, see, see what I tell you, you know, they're all right. like, right, right. You know, you know, I, I felt, I felt the pressure. Right. Uh, but, you know, it did help to keep me, you know, you know keep me straight. Um, and, 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 and it doesn't, it, it almost doesn't seem to matter, you know, and, anymore because it's, it's a different, it's a different generation. And, and, and I think young men see things a different way. Um, and we do need to encourage them more to just be about doing the right thing all the time. You I'd know, like to say this, uh, BJ. Sorry, sorry, doctor. No, go ahead, please. I, I, th I thought BJ was about to cut me off, so I was like, skirt, let me get in here real quick. <laughs> <laughs> she knows me, she knows me. <laughs> um, I also like to think of masculinity as this type of shield, right? Like, kind of how I think about um, anger. It's a mask for fear and for sadness. Um, and I think the larger conversation needs to be about emotional regulation and, and, and showing people what this means. I think far too many people have no idea how to regulate their emotions. So really, you know, the only response they do know to have is to, is to while out, like you said. Um, they don't have any other context. They don't have any other, I would say, like guidance. Um, and especially in the Black community, I feel like there was a long time where the male was removed from the home. Um, and I think because of that, um, there are these outdated, um, and I would even say archaic ideas of what, what it means to be a man. Um, and I think that a lot of times, for me anyway, this hyper-masculinity is almost barbaric. Um, and I guess, I guess my thing is, where do we start to have these conversations? Because we can't start in a college classroom, unfortunately, and expect these kids to be able to make these tangible changes because mm -hmm. they don't know. You know, you've gone 18, 19, 20 years living your life with the understanding that when something doesn't go your way, you, you know, you're angry about it. You're upset about it. You have to preserve this persona. Um, and that's just, I don't think is conducive to a happy, healthy, fulfilled life for the person specifically, because that's a lot to have to carry around to be strong all the time, to be correct all the time, to be a protector, um, to always be ready to, to go. To me, that sounds like a chronic fight or flight response where the response is always to fight. Um, and that's exhausting for anybody. I mean, even for the body, that's exhausting. Well, I, think you, I think you keep it in context. And I think you do, you know, do what's appropriate for the uh, you know you know for the place where you are and and, and, and the point in life where you are, um, you know how do, we, how do we share that? How do we work that? Well, it's best to start when 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 a person is young, but it's never too late to you know to learn the right right way to go. Um, North Carolina Central University has a men's program. It's a really really good program, and, and it works with that premise. You know, mm -hmm. uh, if, if you take a young you know young adult older adolescent male and uh, take him out of, you know, the co-education uh, context and put him in a place where he's only dealing with other, you know, men in his peer group and older men who have been through the experience and set the standard. And then you give them younger men to work with, you know, boys mm -hmm. that they can help mentor. I mean, that's, that's an ideal situation. And we've seen so many young men come through that situation mm -hmm. where they were, you know, flaking out to start and they end up better academically they're, they they change kind of their their career uh trajectory and um you know they they've made a difference so programs like that are very very helpful they keep young men out of jail yeah. you know they force the idea that 
you know, law enforcement is not necessarily there to um, mess with you. And, you know, the best way to avoid that situation is to stay home at night, you know, things like that. All, all those things that, you know, we, we just kind of consider common sense. Um, yeah. And those, those programs are very effective and they work really well. Is that Dr. Is that Dr. Harvey? Harvey. Oh, he used to do that. He, he used to do that. He's now moved on to another place. Okay. I, I, yeah, because I know I know Dr. Harvey. I remember when, he, when that started. So what, what you got, Dr. Robinson? I was going to add this, and I know that your time is running out. So I'll oh, try we to good? Be, Go ahead. You sure? Oh, good. Because yeah. so, no, no, I didn't want to be like... <laughs> but no, I, I think the other thing that we have to have a conversation too about is this notion also of toxic masculinity. We have not begun to broach the topic, I think, seriously enough. If we think about the notion, first of all, of, of heteronormative masculinity and how that has a patriarchal root within white men, mm-hmm. then unfortunately, when you begin to look at that conversation, then we're trying to aspire to something that really puts us at a lower tier. And so because you have this competition, if you will, we try to aspire to this notion of we want to be, you know, the patriarchal breadwinner. We have to do this Mm -hmm. and and match ourselves toe to toe with what the hegemonic construct is. However, we have yet to even really talk about masculinity within our within our queer circles as well. Mm. Unfortunately, when we don't have that conversation, that leaves a lot of folk out, because then at the same time, whatever your sexual preference would be or whatever biologically determined to be we still Mm -hmm. have to have that space too and so we have not really i think done a service to our queer brothers when we have this conversation so we have to begin to talk about masculinity and what does it mean and the notion of how we compare that to you know does it mean that you have to do a certain thing and then you're looked at a different way as opposed to embracing that so i think we have to begin to have those conversations as well Mm-hmm. And the the media and and pop culture and how we consume it. I mean, it, it tells you that this is who you're supposed to be. Yeah. This is what you're supposed to look like. This is what you're supposed to function like. I know this girl and basically she had posted this video of her son to some, I have, I feel like I sound like such a, a whack for some rapper. I listen to rap. So if you're listening to this, don't come for me. I listen to rap. I listen to trap music. Um, but, but the little baby was, you know what I mean? It was, it was, it was very provocative and it was a lot of, um, vulgar language and he was he was even like emulating what they were doing in the rap video like grabbing at his pants uh moving his shirt around almost like he was like pulling a gun and i know this kid is no more than two or three years old um and that's what really really worries me it's like you are being taught that this is exactly who you're supposed to be this is who you're supposed to aspire to be and and like we were talking about before this is why community is important and these um programs like at NCCU are, are so integral to people being able to, to kind of break this generational curse and realize yeah. I don't have to carry it all first and foremost. And second of all, that masculinity does not equal safety. And I think yeah. that that's what a lot of men are looking for is some sense of safety and self-assurance. That's not going to come from, from behaving like a masculine person. Right. The other thing too, I would add, and I'm, I'll be quiet then because I know you probably have a hard break. <laughs> Please forgive my dogs. Oh, but, you're uh, fine. You're fine. But, we're, all, um, we're all animal lovers here. We're good. <laughs> but no, I think we also, because you you made me really think about this thing and this, we have to break the cycle of psychological trauma and abuse mm-hmm. within our families and communities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This is one thing that is going to sound, okay, so I'm a 70s baby. So I can tell you the story 
about one of the worst whippings I ever got. And that was after my father saw the miniseries Roots. So mm. the reality is that I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I deserved it. But the idea is that we have to stop thinking about physical abuse as a way of discipline and raising our children, particularly mm. our black men. Mm-hmm. And so I have made a very hard decision, actually an easy decision. After I tried to give my son my, his first whooping at around eight, I said, this will never happen again. And I said, and the reason I did it, because I, I watched the film 12 Years of a Slave. Mm-hmm. And I saw how the character got beaten like that. And I was like, oh, my God, because my son was like, ah, I don't want that. Right. So we have to begin to have conversations that we begin to break the cycles of abuse, yeah. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think corporal punishment uh, is what we do when we don't use our imagination think of others. Mm-hmm. That's know? beautiful. You should put that on a shirt. Seriously. Like, I think that's so profound. Well, you know, thank Go you. Go ahead. Market it, Ralph. We need yeah, the money. Yeah, market it. <laughs> put it on you a t-shirt. It, man, well, um, it, was, it was here first. <laughs> When I was preparing to teach in the public schools back in the late 70s, um, I was working in a middle school and, um, for, you know, for my, for my practicum, one of the schools. And this school district is in central Pennsylvania, and they had just reestablished uh, paddling as, as discipline. Mm. And um, the band director at this middle school who was a, was a, a good guy, you know, I, I, I was a trombone player, I used to work jobs with him and stuff. Right. And um, he had, a, he had a, a, an African-American young woman, very smart, very, very uh, um, physically and um, psychologically, I guess, mature for her age. Mm. You know, I think she was in a, in a home situation where she was just allowed to be older than she was. And she kind of a smart mouth, you know, uh, which middle schoolers are going to have, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she said something that he didn't like, and he had to paddle her. And he said, would you come in and witness this? And I said, if you tell me I have to. He said, mm-hmm. well, that's part of, your, part of your, you know, your practicum thing. And it was in a closed-off room, and, and I watched this white man beat this black child, and... I, I, I'm still kind of traumatized about it. And I went and talked to the principal of the school about it. I went and talked to my student teaching supervisor. I talked to my father. I mean, I felt terrible about this for a long time. That, you know, there were so many things that this child could respond to. There were so many other ways that he could have dealt with this. Uh, and by doing this, he showed that he had no more patience for her. He had no imagination to work with her. He didn't care enough about her to 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 stretch it a little bit. And I never saw him paddle anybody else, black, white, or otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know what that means, but because she, she wasn't the worst student in, in that place. But he just showed he didn't know how to handle, um, you know, an adolescent an adolescent black child. And 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 I, I, I remember that. So, you know, when I was raising my daughter, I never. You know, I, I had no reason to. If I couldn't handle her without, without you know, physical, without corporal punishment, then I need to go back and rethink what I was doing. Right. right. You know, uh, I got, you know, I got, I had plenty of corporal punishment growing up, and I didn't need any of it. You know, I was not a bad kid. I you know? wish I didn't get a beaten over spelling test, but it <laughs> happened. <laughs> uh, it doesn't do anything other than show you that, that you know, there's something wrong with you. 
Right. You know, uh, yeah. so and, 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 and still, still, still in this day and age, we have students. I talk to students that I talk to that, you know, got 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 paddled and beat regularly. Yeah. And they talk about, well, I'm going to do that to my children. I said, you, you probably shouldn't. You yeah. will get papers on you now. You know, <laughs> CPS, I'm a mandatory reporter. You know, yeah. I heard this. I heard people say, you know, it didn't hurt me. So, you know, it helped me. So it's going to help my children. Yeah. And that was what my parents said. And they were wrong. Yeah. They were, you know, I, I, I love my mom and dad, but they were absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. They, they never had to spank me. Wow. They never had to spank me. And they only did it because they didn't know what else to do. Right. right. You know? They would have. Yeah. They would have had me just by their disapproval. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. there were all kinds of things they could have done, um, and then it got to the point where you know it didn't really hurt as much as it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it 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 drove fear, and and it shouldn't mm-hmm. drive, drive love. Right, so right. you know, um, the, you know, these are things that are important. We 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 make people go through a tremendous process in order to drive a car. You know, you have to have a, a license and, and, and a degree to teach school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's licenses for all sorts of things, but there is no compulsory training for parenting. Right, that's right. And, and anybody that can reproduce can be a parent. And, and, and it's that not- That is unfortunate. Well, you know, <laughs> I am sorry, that is so unfortunate. It's cold, but true. <laughs> yeah, it is, you know? And, yeah. and that's, a lot of, that's a lot of the problems that we have, I think, is, you know, people, uh, make babies, but, you know, babies are only babies for what, you know, a couple hours, and then they start, you know, walking around and talking, they're in school, and, yeah. you know, hours around. I don't know about that. <laughs> and, and they're yeah. small adults, and, you know, yeah. so, you know, they, they don't stay little for very long, right. and, and the idea now in, in culture, and I'm digressing a little bit, that um, young people, well, you know, grown adults will use the expression, well, we want to start a family, for having a baby before they get married, you know, I, I guess I'm just old school like that, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's a practical and, and, and a meaningful thing to do. You know, right. I think children come out of a, 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 a committed, meaningful relationship that is bringing a child into it out of that, you know, out of the need and out of the desire to, 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 to do something with that child, not because babies is cute, or not because you know you, you give yourself some sort of credit, some sort of family cred by having a child. You want to be a family, you know, commit, yeah. commit, marry, you know, yeah. live. Put, you know, put your money together, and uh, you know, that's some work, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 you gotta work out. You know, making a baby is the easiest thing in the world. Raising a baby is the hardest. Yeah, it is. Wow, we went there, didn't we? <laughs> we went. <laughs> we're sorry. Oh, no, we're, we're good. This is a good conversation. I really appreciate it. So I, I appreciate you guys coming on. I appreciate the, 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 the very diverse kind of conversations that we've had a, across the board. And, I, and um, you know, we may have to, you know, some of this conversation probably needs to have another chat, you know. Uh, do you know how to find us. <laughs> yeah, I know how to find you guys. Yeah. Yeah, y'all ain't doing nothing at night. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. I'm, I'm the retired one. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, so yeah, I think thank you guys for 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 joining us and your your input. Uh, and and uh, also, you know, we, like I said, I keep referring to when the, the three of us spoke early to for me to ask you guys to come on board and you offered if you could be of assistance and I may end up taking you up on that and then with some please, guidance please and do. input. 
um, as to how, how I move, you know, toward other, some other ideas I have, but you and 5.0, but I really appreciate you guys. So thank you very much, Dr. Robinson and Dr. Barrett. My for pleasure. Share, sharing your wisdom and, and the work that you're doing for HBCU students, for all future leaders, <coughs> North Carolina Central University. So I, I, thank you. I really do. Harmony, do you have anything to say before we uh, call it an evening? Um, just going to echo those same sentiments and happy Black History Month. I say all the time, Black joy is an act of resistance. So I hope that we can all, all right. find um, a way to be joyful today and for the rest of this month. Yeah, I know. Thank you. So folks, we really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that we've had today with Dr. Robinson and Dr. Barrett from North Carolina Central University. Uh, and as always, stay well, stay safe and peace.